Well, the preaching of God's Word tonight comes from Colossians chapter 2. If you turn there in your pew Bibles with me, we're going to focus our attention tonight on two verses primarily, uh, but we'll be uh, looking at uh, the the broader context of that passage as well. So please keep your your thumb there. Colossians chapter 2, and I will read uh, verses 6 through 15, again focusing uh, our main attention tonight on verses 9 and 10. This is God's holy word. Let's listen carefully to it as it's read uh, and as it's preached tonight. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes this, beginning at verse 6, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And also tonight, we're going to uh, look at uh, the helpful explanation Uh, an exposition of part of the Apostles' Creed, which we confessed earlier tonight, from the Heidelberg Catechism, um, Lord's Day 14. You'll find that on page 878 in the back of the Trinity Psalter hymnal, if you'd like to follow along as I read Lord's Day 14. It's fitting that we read this tonight because this has been called the, uh, the Christmas Lord's Day, and it's not hard to see why. It's the article of our faith that deals with our confession of uh, of, the tri- of Jesus, the Son of God, being born of the Virgin Mary, and how that is so critical to our faith and our salvation. Question 35 of Lord's Day 14 asks this important question, what does it mean that He, Jesus, was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary? And the answer that, that comes back to us is this, that the eternal Son of God, who is and remains true and eternal God, took to Himself through the working of the Holy Spirit, from the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary, a true human nature, so that he might also become David's true descendant, like his brothers in all things, except for sin. And then this wonderful question and answer, 36, how does the holy conception and birth of Christ benefit you? The answer, he is our mediator. And in God's sight, he covers, that's that propitiation that we learned about this morning, he covers with his innocence and perfect holiness my sin 
in which I was conceived. Please keep that standard out. We'll be looking at uh, that in another article uh, uh, later on this evening. Well, tomorrow is Christmas Day. Uh, We're all looking forward to that. We're looking forward to gathering at our loved ones' homes for uh, good fellowship and song, some delicious food, uh, to open heartfelt gifts and play games, and generally just to be merry. Uh, It's a wonderful time of the year, and the festivities of the season are wonderful to enjoy, and we should enjoy them as as families. Uh, But as we gather for sacred worship tonight, it's important that we we turn our attention away for a moment from the seasonal glitz and glamour and focus our attention on the glorious and profound mystery of Christmas, that the eternal Son of God the second person of the Holy Trinity willingly came to this plot of ground, this earth, and he took on our nature, took on human flesh and will in order to save us. It's important for us to remember that that during Christmas time, and and really uh, all year round, we have a theological confession connected to Christmas, and that is that our our Savior, Jesus Christ, has two natures, divine and human, united in one person. Unfortunately, during Christmas time, we're sometimes reminded the church hasn't always gotten that right. Uh, Sometimes we sing songs that reflect an imbalance in our understanding of how Jesus' divine and human nature relate in his one person. We sing sometimes the song, Away in a Manger. I know I picked on this song before. I'm going to do it one more time tonight. Away in a manger, no crib for his bed. The little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. The cattle are lowing. The poor baby wakes. Good so far. But then we read or we sing, But little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. I have a couple kids at home. Let me tell you, when when a noise awakens them from their their deep sleep, they cry. They cry because they're human beings. They have a human nature. Jesus wept at Lazarus' tomb, his friend's tomb. Why would he not cry when he woke as a babe? We mustn't emphasize Jesus' divinity at the expense of his genuine humanity. Well, the opposite problem also occurs We emphasize his humanity at the expense of his divinity. We see that today in our culture. Perhaps some of you have heard of the He Gets Us campaign. This is really uh, gaining some steam in our culture. It portrays Jesus as a sort of a social justice warrior who preached against the systemic injustices of the Roman Empire. We are to think of him as a poor, uh, marginalized member of the minority uh, come to level the playing field. He gets us if we find ourselves in that state of being. He's a rebel, but is he the son of God? That's too much for most in our culture to accept today. But in contrast to the confusion in our world, God's word is clear. And God's word clearly reveals the glories, the perfections of our Lord Jesus Christ and and the truth that's sometimes buried under the colored Ribbons and the tinsel and the gift wrapping and the the cute manger scenes during this Christmas season is this profound truth that we mustn't lose sight of. 
that in Christ, in the person of Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells bodily, and we have been filled in him with all that we need to live for him in this age. And so tonight, we're going to look at two things, the meaning, the significance, the glory of, of this fullness of, of divinity dwelling, all the fullness of God dwelling in Jesus. And then what is the benefit of that for us? What is the, what is the blessing and benefit of that for us as believers? Well, earlier on in the Heidelberg Catechism, if you would turn back to Lord's Day 5 with me, if you still have that open, um, you notice that um, we're confronted with a very important additional question and answer. In Lord's Day 5, we're reminded, I'll summarize part of this for us, we're reminded that we deserve God's judgment because of our sin. And that penalty must be paid in full, either by us or someone else. And the Catechism tells us that we cannot make that payment because every single day we increase our debt, as we learned again this morning. We also learn here that another creature cannot pay that debt for us because no mere creature can bear the weight of God's judgment against sin and deliver another creature from it. And that's why we come to this very important question and answer, question and answer 15. What kind of mediator, what kind of deliverer then should we be looking for? If sin is our problem and we deserve the judgment of God, what kind of mediator should we be looking for? And the answer is this, one who is a true and righteous man, yet more powerful than all creatures, that is, one who is also true God. That is our human need. We need a God-man to step in. And the glory of Christmas is that God met our great need as sinners by providing a perfect mediator, but He did it in a surprising, miraculous way. God came into human flesh. God's true and eternal Son became the son of a Jewish virgin girl. How incredible that the sovereign God would willingly enter into our time and our space, even our very flesh, all the while remaining the eternal God. This is the great mystery of godliness, Paul says to, to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.16, that God has been manifest, revealed in human flesh. And that's what Paul is saying here as well in Colossians 2 verse 9 when he says, all the fullness of deity, all that is in God, came to earth to live, to dwell in a body like ours. And Paul wants us to marvel at, he wants us to understand how special, how necessary that was for God's Son to take on our human flesh in order to be our Savior, in order to be our mediator, in order to restore our broken relationship with God. It's important for us to remember that that was the long-held expectation of God's people Israel that God would dwell with them intimately, closely, in, in, in perfect fellowship. After that intimate dwelling of God with Adam and Eve and the garden fell apart, was interrupted, destroyed by sin, the glory of God in the past had come to dwell in various ways with His people, in the tabernacle, in the temple. But of course, those were temporary dwellings of God's glory and presence. Those were portable uh, dwelling places. And if they remind God's people of anything, 
It was that there was still a lot of distance between a holy God and his sinful people. God still remained unapproachable. And so those former dwellings of God with his people anticipated a better day when the distance between God and his people would finally be overcome and God would dwell closely with his people. And that took place when in the fullness of time God came to dwell with us in the fleshly tabernacle of Jesus Christ who took to himself a genuine human nature. All the fullness of God dwells in the man, Jesus Christ. And that's why John says at the beginning of his gospel, uh, chapter 1, verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's important for us during this time of year when we can be so distracted by lesser things, to focus for a moment upon this glorious and mysterious miracle that God orchestrated. That for us and for our salvation, the second person of the Trinity, who already had a full and real divine nature, took to himself a full, real human nature. God took on manhood The creator of of heaven and earth willingly chose to dwell in his creature. The potter took to himself the very clay which he molded. The glory of the incarnation, Jesus coming into flesh, the glory of that is that that every attribute and every characteristic ascribed to God the Son from all eternity belongs to the person of Jesus Christ. The babe of Bethlehem's manger is real and complete God. The fullness of God's grace and love and mercy are found in that holy child. The fullness of God's justice and anger and hatred against sin are dwelling in the son of Mary. And the babe in the manger did not cease for one second to be the ruler of the universe. Amazing, profound miracle of salvation that God has orchestrated for us. As we think about the meaning of this fullness of God in Jesus Christ, we must remember that this miracle of the incarnation did not happen uh, randomly or for no defined reason. This needed to happen. This was necessary for our salvation. Going on in Uh, In Lord's Day 6, question 16 of the Heidelberg Catechism, this question is asked, why must the mediator be a true and righteous man? Because God's justice requires that human nature which has sinned must pay for its sin. But a sinner could never pay for others. Why must he be also true God? So that by the power of his divinity, he might bear in his humanity the weight of God's wrath and earn for us and restore to us righteousness and life. You see, it was necessary that the eternal Son of God take on human flesh to save us. The fullness of deity needed to dwell in the body of Jesus Christ so that we might be saved by Him. We might be made full in Him. Jesus had to know 
He had to touch. He had to experience our flesh and our blood completely. He had to enter this world. The blood that he spilled on Calvary's cross had to be real human blood received from his mother, Mary. Jesus Christ needed to be fully human. Otherwise, he would not be qualified to be our perfect mediator. For as we read, only a true human can pay for the sins of another. But he also needed to be truly and fully human and God at the same time. He needed to be true and fully divine. Last Christmas, I preached about the people of Israel's longing for a Redeemer that God promised would come through David's line, through the royal line of David. And yet we know that that no mere human from that line of kings was worthy to claim David's throne. None of them could rescue the people of Israel from their sin. In fact, David's lineage had been a total failure. A sinner cannot pay for others. And that's why God entered human history in a miraculous way to meet our need. He chose a human vessel, Mary. She was a virgin, and yet she was miraculously with child. David's lineage was bankrupt. Joseph's line was reduced to a mere stump, mostly dead. And so God sent the only king that was worthy to take David's throne, and he sent that king through a woman. Truly, Jesus is David's legal heir through uh, Joseph, Mary's husband, but it's through Mary that the world receives a new son of David. And the marvel of this is that what was impossible with man, where man had failed completely, is possible with God. Who can produce such a mediator who is both true an eternal God, and at the same time a true and perfect human being, a son of David, made like us in all things except for sin. Who can produce such a mediator, such a helper, such a savior? Only God himself. And out of the immense love he has for us, he gave us a beautiful baby boy, the holy infant Jesus, apart from the will of man, Conceived in sinless perfection by the Holy Spirit, made like us in every way without sin, so that he ever lives to serve as our sympathetic high priest. He knows our pain. He knows our sadness. He's experienced sickness and loneliness and defeat. When we could not reach up to God, he reached down to us to take on weakened human flesh that we might be made truly full in Him. That's what Paul means when he says, in Christ all the fullness of deity dwells bodily. But you might be asking, so what? So what? What benefit is it to me to know all of that? How does the incarnation of Jesus Christ really touch me and my life? What difference does it make? The Apostle Paul goes on in, second, uh, in Colossians chapter 2 to say, really, in many ways. It benefits us in many ways. He writes in Colossians 2 verse 10, after saying the whole fullness of deity dwells in Jesus Christ, he says, and you have been filled in Him 
who is the head of all rule and authority. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have, Paul says, everything that we need in Jesus. How does the incarnation of Jesus benefit us? I pointed out three ways there in the bulletin. I've given you a few fill-in-the-blanks to make it easier to follow. The first is this. The first way that Jesus coming in the flesh benefits us is this. It means that Jesus Christ is qualified to be your perfect mediator before the Father, before God. He's qualified to be your mediator. We all know what mediators do. We have them today. Uh, If uh, a labor union goes on strike, let's say, uh, the union and the management representatives sit down, they, they discuss their differences, they try to iron out their differences. Um, sometimes the government labor board will supply a mediator uh, to help um, resolve the dispute so that people can get back to work. Uh, but that kind of mediator, if he's going to do a good job, if, if he or she is going to be successful as a mediator, they need to be well acquainted with both sides of the argument. In the realm of marriage counseling, the same holds true. It really helps uh, if the mediator is someone who is uh, experienced in marriage, who has personal experience as a married person. Well, so it is with Jesus Christ. He, he, he's qualified to be our mediator. He's, he's qualified to be the go-between between God and man because He is both true God and true man in one person. The whole fullness of deity dwells in his body. He's our perfect mediator because he knows what God desires and expects and demands. And he also knows what humankind hopes and fears and desires. Human beings went on strike against God, so to speak, when Adam fell into sin. Humans sought a great divorce from their Creator when they rebelled in the garden. But God graciously sent a perfect mediator, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. What this means so gloriously is that the infant child in Mary's arms is already your mediator. And he would go on to suffer and die on the accursed cross of Calvary for you, his people. His incarnation was always meant to lead to the cross and the accomplishment of redemption for His people. And that's the second benefit of our Lord's incarnation. Look what Paul says here in verses 13 and 14 of Colossians chapter 2. He says, "...and you who were dead in your trespasses..." And in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses." by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing to the cross. Paul says we have an immense, unpayable debt that we owe to God because of our rebellion against Him when we sought to divorce ourselves from Him and His Word. But God canceled that debt at the cross of Jesus Christ. His death could cover us and cover our sin because Jesus had a fully human nature and is qualified to pay for your sins in your place. His death, His perfect sacrifice canceled the debt of our sin and transgression because Jesus is also God. And by the power of His divine nature, 
He bore the weight of God's anger in his humanity to earn for us and restore to us righteousness and everlasting life. And that's why Paul says in chapter 1, 19 and 20, he says, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. What, finally, is the benefit of Christ's incarnation? Paul says, we've been filled in him. And we share right now in Christ's power and authority over every rule and authority. Look at what he says in verses 10 through 12 here. He says, and you've been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And then verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Paul says, as as those who belong to Jesus Christ by faith, as believers, we have put off the body of sin, the body of the flesh. We no longer live in the realm of the flesh, chained to its sinful desires and control. Through Jesus, by faith, we've been transferred into a new kingdom, a new realm of authority, the kingdom of Christ. And we live through Him. We live in Him. We live under Him. And again, Paul says in the first chapter of Colossians, verses 13 and 14, he's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. We see that in our baptism, in which we identify with Jesus Christ in his death and his resurrection, and we're reminded through that baptism, through those waters, that he's already vanquished the power of sin and death in our lives. And he promises to give us the strength right now to live for him in the freedom and the joy that he gives. He has disarmed all rulers and authorities. He's triumphed over them. And this triumphant king, who once came to earth as a helpless baby, ever lives, ever lives to make intercession for you in heaven before God as your perfect mediator. And again, John says in verse 16 of his gospel, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. This great mystery of Christmas that we confess, this confession of Christmas is this, God in flesh has appeared, that God is with us in Jesus Christ. But what does that glorious mystery of Christmas compel us to do? What does that glorious reality call us to do in response? We must believe on Him. We must believe on Him. We must know Him. We must contemplate His perfections day after day and worship Him for who He is. Jesus can't remain out there, outside of us, distant from us, something that we merely give intellectual agreement to. 
We must know him. We must love him. We must serve him with all of our heart and life. All the fullness of deity dwells in him. He is the only mediator, the only go-between, between a holy God and an unrighteous humanity. We must believe that. If we believe that, we will never, he will never fail us. For he will shelter us under the protection of his mighty wings. And if we are found in him, in Jesus... And when God looks at you, he, see, he sees Jesus. He sees his innocence. He sees his holiness dwelling bodily for you. And God promises that as you reach out to him in faith, he will cover your sins in his blood. And he will carry you to be with him in everlasting glory. Believe upon him. Worship him. Adore him. For he is worthy of all of our worship. Amen. Let's pray together. Gracious God, the, the mystery, the glory of Christmas is that you, the eternal Son of God, dwelling with God and the Holy Spirit in, in perfect joy and love and fellowship, nevertheless chose for the sake of love to come to this earth and to take to himself a genuine human nature, to fulfill all righteousness and to lay down his life for sinners on the cross. We thank you that if we put our trust in Jesus Christ, in whom the fullness of deity dwells, then we too shall be filled by your, your presence and your grace. We too will know your saving love. We will be united to you and be partakers of all of your saving benefits. And so, Lord, we, we pray that during this Christmas time we would not be content with uh, merely enjoying the, uh, the frills and, and, and the holiday um, accoutrements. We would not be satisfied with good food and, and drink and the merriment of the holiday and the blessing of, of fellowship. But, Lord, that we would seek to know the Savior, that we would confess the Savior, Jesus Christ, the God-man who has come as our Savior. We pray, Father, that our hearts would be warmed by these profound truths, that we would meditate upon them every day as we give thanks, as we worship our Savior. It's in His name that we pray. Amen.